Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. Uh, if this is your first time with us, welcome to New Vintage. Uh, if you're online or up on the roof, welcome. Welcome. Uh, glad to have you with us today. We're going to be in John chapter 6, uh, as I mentioned. So if you want to get your Bibles open or Bible app open, we will be ready to go. All right, we're going to look today at uh, the only miracle that is actually recorded in all four Gospels other than the resurrection of Jesus. And that is the feeding of the 5,000. You can consider it maybe a sequel or a second part to what we looked at last week, which is the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turns water into wine, his first public miracle. And uh, today we're going to watch him do it again. But this time it seems like he's wanting to do some work on his followers, on the apostles themselves, because they've slipped into a particular way of looking at the world, way of looking at people and things. And Jesus is trying to expand their horizons to get them to see the world through more of an abundance mentality instead of a scarcity mentality, okay? So we're going to talk about that today, uh, and I hope as we do that you'll pay attention to uh, what I call the teriyaki sauce guy. Now, if you've been a New Vintage, I've, I've spoken of this man before. The teriyaki sauce guy is a, a fictitious person that we all are at one point or another, but also we know somebody like this. Let's just say after church today, you decide, hey, we're all going to go to Miko Sushi, we're going to go down the street. We're going to get uh, sushi. Some people like sushi. I don't, but that's okay. God, kingdom of God's a big, big place, okay? We can go down the street, and we're all there. We have the time of our lives. We're laughing. We're carrying on. We're having a blast. Uh, and, of course, the server may come up and go, hey, uh, is this one check or several? Let's say there's 10 or 12 of us, okay? There's usually one person who is, like, separate because they don't want to have to pay for any of your stuff. And then it, sometimes they're overruled and they go ahead and get the group check or sometimes the server doesn't ask, so they bring the check, but they're the ones that can ask for the bill and they're gonna pick it up like this and they're gonna stare at it and they're gonna go down very carefully and they're gonna make sure and they're gonna get to that point where at some point they're gonna go, um, okay, who? Okay, somebody ordered extra teriyaki sauce. Uh, that's it, you need to put in an extra 35 cents for upcharge. Okay, and everybody's like, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. And they're like, no, 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 35 cents extra teriyaki sauce. I didn't order it, you ordered it. Come out with it. And they're going to point on that, right? They missed the entire spirit of the occasion. It's not because they're poor and they can't afford 35 cents. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't have gone to Miko Sushi to begin with. They are there because they don't want to pay any more than they have to. They don't get that the part of the point of going in a big group like that is to share, not just joy and laughter, but money. We're there. We're having a meal. These might be the people that if you're having kind of a Super Bowl party at your house and you ask them, uh, what, everybody bring some, let me know what you're going to bring. Uh, they bring the fewest cupcakes possible. Store-bought, not handmade, the fewest possible. Uh, if it's uh, chips, uh, they're going to buy the generic store brand. Half of it will be eaten when they come in. Uh, they'll bring you the leftovers from the cabinet, things like that. And what it does is it signals, okay, a particular way of looking at the world. Okay, one is that of abundance and hospitality. One that simply says, hey, we're all here. You know what? It doesn't matter. Just carve it up 12 ways and it'll all be good. So if I end up paying a little bit more, that's fine. Next time, maybe you pick up a little bit more of my tab. No big deal. Like we're just here. We're just going to make it. Sometimes, sometimes. You have this competition between two people, the ones that fight about the bill and then the ones who fight over it. 
Hey, let me get it. No, no, let me get it. No, you. Okay, okay, you take it, right? <laughs> but they, there's a struggle over who's going to pay. Christians, I'm going to argue, ought to carry about themselves a way that simply says, I am here, I am ready to share. I have a rebellious microphone. It's been this way all morning. We're going to work on it. But, but, but they, they carry a hospitable, eager to share, and they do it with a great attitude, and the reason is they don't see the world in terms of scarcity. They don't see the resources of their life as finite and scarce. They see them as abundant. They see them as things that are supposed to be shared. So they don't go around with a teriyaki sauce attitude. They don't go through their life going, hey, you know what? Uh, let, let's just make sure, okay, you do your part, I'll do my part, and everybody will be fine. Hey, you know what? You did a little bit more than I did uh, the last time, so I'm going to do a little bit more. They don't keep record of wrongs. They, don't, are, they aren't the accounting department. We talked about the Homeowners Association last week. This is the accounting department where they make sure that at no point do they give a little bit more than anybody else or they share a little bit more than anybody else because they're afraid they're afraid that it's going to run out. They're afraid they're not going to have enough. Or, in other cases, they're afraid that they may end up having less than they wish they had. So it's really not about accounting. It's about greed. It's about hoarding. But in this story today, Jesus does something remarkable. And he does it similarly to last week. He teaches us the, 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 the important lesson that he can always make more. He can always make more. So in John 6, by the time that we get to the text this morning, okay, we already uh, have seen him uh, do the wedding at Cana. We did that one last week. He's already converted the Samaritan woman at the well. He's already helped convert a village. He's just healed the man born lame by the pool of Bethsaida. So it's not like they haven't seen Jesus do some pretty remarkable things. And yet then when thousands of people come up to hear him preach, their first impulse is to say, we don't have enough food. Bummer. Guess we're all going to have to send them home. I mean, that's kind of the way scarcity people see the world. There's only enough for us. Too bad for them. And Jesus has something different to say to them. So let's take a look at the text, John 6, 5 to 13. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus is preparing to teach them a lesson. He already knows what he's going to do. All right. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. Hmm. And they didn't chop it into 5,000 little mini pieces? Make sure everybody only got one? Nope. As much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So they ended up with more afterward than they had to start with. Not bad. All right. What are we supposed to take away from this? Now, I could do an entire series on this story. I really could. Let's start here. Let's talk about the economy of God. In the economy of God, faith is the currency. 
Meaning the way that things get done, the way that things happen, the way that people get blessed is by faith. It is not by sight and it's not by preserving. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood to be saying that saving money or something is always bad or saving things or putting away stuff for a rainy day is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a very biblical concept. But there's a difference between saving some stuff in the barns so when there's a famine in the land, you still have something in the storehouse versus pretending or living in a constant famine where all you see, you're always deathly afraid that God is going to let you starve. Always standing back and kind of going, hey, look, there's only so much out there. We need to preserve everything we have. And so, look, too bad for you. And we go hunger games with the world. We kind of say, hey, uh, me and a few people I'm close to, we're going to make sure that we have enough food and we're going to take care of our family. And by that, we don't mean the healthy version of that, which is, which is to honor the calling that God has given us to take care of our family. What we mean is, I'm going to take care of my family and to heck with you. Good luck. But if that little buzzy thing comes in, like in the Hunger Games with medicine or whatever, I'm getting it. And I'm living this life in such a way that I do it. And when that little signal goes up in the, in the sky and explodes, it's going to be for you, homie, not me. That's the way that we think. And that's such an affront to the kingdom of God. They have a vision problem, the apostles do. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well story, they don't want to be in Samaria. They don't want to encounter Samaritans. They want to get in and out of there. But Jesus, always being who he is, he goes to get a drink of water at the well. And there in that encounter with the woman, he encounters somebody who he reaches out to. She comes to faith and then goes around the whole village preaching the gospel in her own way. Let me tell you about this guy who told me everything I ever did. He goes in, he's invited to eat with them, so he does. He stays with them, and his apostles are nervous. They don't like it. What they want him to do is get up and get out of there. And he says, look, guys, look out there. They see a spiritual wasteland full of spiritual mutts, spiritual half-breeds, if you will. That was kind of the way that the Israelites saw the Samaritans. And Jesus says, look at the white harvest fields. They are, this is a bumper crop. God is doing something here. Open your eyes, open your eyes. This is another open your eyes story. He knows what he's going to do. The text says he already knew what he was going to do. So he says, hey, Philip, what do you think we ought to do? Well, you know what? Eight months' wages wouldn't take care of it. Okay, Andrew, what do you think? Well, here's a boy with some, you know, some, enough food for us. In one of the other versions of this story, it's added that the first impulse that they have is to say, hey, we better send the people home because there's only so much food. You see the difference? There's only enough for us. Better send them home. Whew. Thank you, God, for providing for me and my family. Thank you, God, for providing just enough for me. Good luck, everybody. The Hunger Games have begun. And think about what would have been missed. Think about what would have been missed on this occasion. And this miracle, recorded in all four Gospels, only one another in the resurrection, never takes place. What it would have been was them sitting down and having dinner while everybody else went home disappointed. Because in their mind's eye, they never saw that the same one who they'd already seen 
make, turn water to wine. The same one that had already healed a guy, born lame, could make more. So I think the answer to why this story is in here is found in the exchange between Jesus, Andrew, and Philip. He knows that he plans to provide, but he asks them what they think. He's trying to get them to catch the vision like he did at the end of the Samaritan woman at the well story. Look up, open your eyes, the fields are wide unto harvest. And they look and they go, no, those people? No, 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 no. Here it's, we only have enough food for us. Good luck to them. Well, have you ever felt that way? You ever looked at something, big problem? I mean, obviously you got your personal problems. Money's tight. You're lonely, but you have no relationships. Uh, you look around in the world around you and you see the massive problems, poverty, racism, just go on down the list. Uh, and go, there is not enough. There's no way that we're going to be able to feed people. There's no way that this is ever going to get taken care of. The answer of this story is our job is to have a godly vision about the world and to do what we're called to do, which is to take whatever it is that we have been given, put them in the hands of Jesus, and let him do his multiplication thing that he's so good at doing. It's not to try to preserve what we're afraid of losing. It's not to take what he's given to us and, and to be selfish with it, even though God gave it to us rather selflessly. The disciples here look at this countryside full of people who are about to go hungry, and they're concerned because they know that all they have is scraps, five loaves, two fishes. Okay, now my guess is when Jesus tells them, hey, go ahead and have them sit down, that there probably was a little private part of them that rolled their eyes. Okay, why? Oh, okay, you know what? Let's go ahead and have them sit down. That'll be easier for them to hear the announcement that they need to go home. Uh, maybe that's what he's thinking, right? So they, he does, he has them sit down, but in the hands of the apostles, what they had were five loaves and two fish. In the hands of Christ, those five loaves and two fish were more than enough. The spiritual bread that we receive from this story is rather satisfying, if I may say so, that what we have is very, very limited, very, very finite when it's in our hands. But he has a way of taking our limited capacity, our limited amounts of money, our limited amounts of compassion, our limited amounts of mercy, and using them in ways that we couldn't imagine. The kingdom economy is lived in reverse. So you hear these kinds of statements made, and I'm glad that they are made because it reminds me the kingdom of God doesn't depend on how much I have. It depends on how surrendered I am in terms of God's impact in my life. So here's some reversals that he does in the economy of God. Jesus says, whoever wants to be greatest must be the servant. Anyone who wants to be first needs to be last. Whoever tries to keep their lives will lose it. Whoever loses their lives for my sake will keep it. Paul would add on to this as he came uh, down the pike afterwards preaching the same gospel. When we are weak, then we are strong. He said it twice, in fact to different churches. So what does that mean? It means that sometimes the way that, that there's more is to give it away. That's how the economy of God works. It doesn't make any sense, but I've found it true in my own life. I found the more, typically the more generous I am with my money, the more money I have. The more time I actually give other people, the more time I seem to have. It doesn't make any sense. I don't even know how it happens. I'm a busy guy, but I'm most busy when I'm hanging on to my time the most. 
That's when I've noticed I don't have enough time all of a sudden. I don't have enough money all of a sudden. But the more liberal I am with it, the more free I am with it, the more generous I am with it, the more all of a sudden I have enough time. I can handle all sorts of stuff, still go home and relax every now and then. But when I try to, no, there's only so much, and I'm not obeying God, I'm not walking in obedience with what God's entrusted to me, whether it's time, emotional energy, relational uh, commitment to people in the church or my family, uh, finances, whatever it is, that it tends to slip through my fingers. So here, the multiplying effect only happens when it's surrendered. It doesn't happen when they're trying to necessarily preserve it. Now, this is about more than just what they do. It's about what they see, okay? We'll, we'll chalk up what they see to what we call the scarcity mentality. The abundance mentality is what Jesus is trying to encourage them to. If I'm in the house, there will always be enough. That's what he's trying to help them understand. What they see is Jesus is here, but we don't have enough. We as Christians say all the time, we believe things, all things are possible with God. God can do it. God can heal it. God can provide. God can do this. But if our actions, our attitudes don't match that, if our actions and our attitudes say, we wonder if God can do anything, actually. We say God can do anything, but then we, through our actions, say we can do everything. We can do jack. We, have, we haven't proven that by now. Even just culturally, in this world, we haven't taken another thing out of the last year. We've, met, we've had some wins on the board, but come on. We've really, really shown that we cannot cure everything in the world. That there are some things that are bigger than us and that there are some things that really will take some sort of act of God for them to get better. And a lot of the things that get better are actually people living out and walking out what we see here in the text. Okay? Faith. Faith will get you further than the accounting department at Fear National Bank. Okay? The Homeowners Association was last week. We'll do accounting this week. All right? That when you sit there and, and everything is about preserving, making sure we get what we think we've got. I mean, I'll tell you a couple of stories. True stories. I mean, there were small things in hindsight, but they do show what the mentality I'm talking, the scarcity mentality is like. I remember many years ago, I was going to a church and it was a tryout for the job, preaching at a, at, this is years and years ago. Um, and so I go ahead and I, I preach my little tail off, do the best I can. And I go to the back because I wanted to watch some game film. I wanted to see how I did. Because sometimes you don't even remember what you said, you know. And uh, so I go to the back and they have these things called CDs, youngsters. <laughs> they look like little mini records. And uh, at the time, they would record these on CDs. And then you'd go to the back and pay some money and then they'd give you a copy. So I went to the back, to the sound booth. I said, yeah, hi. I'd like a copy of the sermon, please. And she goes, you know what? You did a really good job, young man. It's a little old lady. And I said, uh, I said thank you. She said, I'll be $2. I thought, that's my sermon. Like, I just, they didn't even give me an honorarium. Like, I didn't get paid to do this. I drove 300 miles to do this. You're going to charge me $2 for a copy of my own sermon. And then you're going to take my sermon and sell it to other people. That seems weird. Does it not? So I kind of gently tried to bring that way of looking at things to light. She did not see that light. <laughs> so I ended up paying $2 for a copy of my own sermon, right? But I thought to myself, and I ended up becoming the pastor of that church, okay? 
And I remember thinking, I said, okay, that has got to change. That way of looking at things has got to change. It has to change. We can't be a teriyaki sauce people and then talk about how generous God is and how gracious God is. Now, his people are tight-fisted, narrow, and scared. But God is great, and God is gracious, and he'll change your life. Just don't try and take what I got. You see the disconnect? So here's the apostles. And here's Jesus trying to coach them out of that. I remember another one. My daughter, Anna, who was up here singing right here. This is when she was a little dude. I think we were at Petco Park. This is, uh, you know, right after we'd moved here. She asked for a bag of Skittles. I got her bag of Skittles. So at some point during the game, I thought I'd want a few Skittles. So I said, Anna, can I have some Skittles? She said, no. Those are my Skittles. <laughs> my Skittles is what I'm thinking to myself. What do you mean your Skittles? You don't have any money? You're like six. You have no money. I could take those from you by force if I wanted to. You know, it's funny. Parents, by the way, that doesn't get any better. Now it's a, hey, Dad, you left your stuff in my car. It's like, your car? Whose car? You don't have a car. You have whatever I blessed you with. All right? Now let me, let me under, help you understand the way that this goes. So God looks down from heaven. He looks at everything that he's blessed us with. And he encourages us, asks us, commands us to go do his stuff with it. And we go, hey, no, my Skittles. Those are my Skittles. Get your own. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. There's a memory verse that will change your life if you get, actually take it and, and digest it, right? So whatever you have, like right now, the brain you're using to process it, who gave that to you? The air in your lungs, who gave that to you? You know, the sense of humor you have, uh, you know, everything, that, the hair you worked on before you came here. Okay, all of those things you only have by the grace of God. So when he says to us, hey, I gave those to you to help fulfill my mission in the world. So when I ask you for something, just do it. And what you end up with, what you realize is that if that happens, he takes it, breaks it, passes it around. Everybody ends up fed and you have more at the end than you had going in. That's just like they did. He can always make more. Scarcity mentality will mess with you in big ways. It's what transforms a once generous and visionary people into a fearful, tight-fisted group of grubbers. It's the scarcity mentality that creates that Hunger Games kind of way of approaching the world that says, uh, that, 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 that puts that kind of scared look on people, that anxiety that you feel going around day to day wondering if there'll ever be enough. And I don't know, and I got to just whatever. And I'm going to try and make sure that no matter what happens, me and mine are going to get it taken care of. Okay, that's fine. Okay, there's a part of that that's, that's half true. But like many good things, Satan will take that and create this worldview that makes us think that only we are supposed to be provided for, that God only seems to care about us, or he cares about us a little bit more, like we're God's favorite kid in the family of God. When in reality, what he's given to us was given to us to be shared. That begins with surrender, by, by taking it and putting it in the hands of God. And that scarcity mentality 
It causes Christians to operate on logic rather than faith. Not that logic is bad, but logic in the absence of faith becomes foolishness. To play defense rather than offense, to focus on how we're going to feed ourselves rather than on how God can feed everyone. I mean, when our mentality is one of scarcity rather than abundance, it's, it's impossible to set and dream big dreams because you just don't think anything's possible. If the kingdom of God and its reach in this world is limited to what I got, he's in trouble. <laughs> or even if you took everything we've got, our, our loaves and fish combined, okay, that's not big enough. We're not good enough. It's not enough. God provides through multiplication, taking, breaking. Voila. And his miraculous provision helping people by through the surrender of what he's already given to us. A defensively oriented strategy could make a good football team. Makes a crummy church, though. You can't just sit there and play defense all the time and be based in fear. Because fear... Never works miracles. There are no miracles in fear land. But in faith, man, you get to see the waters part. You can see the loaves and the fish go around. You can watch God change the lives of people. You can see all sorts of things. I mean, look, there has to be a point, if you actually are a Christian and a person of faith, where your life has to be pointed in the direction of faith enough that God will call you to do something that is absolutely terrifying or call you to do something that you realize we cannot afford that. We cannot, I don't have time for that. I can't possibly do that, okay? That's how you know sometimes, not all the time, right? You can, you can just be stupid and not be listening to God's voice at all. But there are times where you, you, I do wonder if people spend their entire life walking with Christ, based on what I hear him say about what the life of a Christian ought to be. And they've never once hung 10 over the, 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 the sheer line of terror. Like, how in the world is this going to get done? What if it doesn't pan out? Uh-oh. You know, they, they never risked enough. They never shared enough. They never did whatever to really experience what the apostles experience here, which is, holy cow, look at all the leftovers. What just happened? What just happened? He did it again. He did it again. And that's one of the reasons spiritual memory is important, going back and remembering all the times that you watched God come through. I mean, if we believe he can feed the masses and us with a few loaves and fish, should we really be concerned that there's not going to be enough? Shouldn't we rush to make sure that whatever we have is actually put out into his hands and fully surrendered? Because he's, he holds the keys to a storehouse that has no end. It, it never, ever runs out of food. He is the well that never runs dry. He has in his hand life that never ends, eternal life, and gives it freely to all. So whatever we take and we put in his hands is in the best possible hands. I got to hustle, part two, or number two. He can always make more. We've talked about this. They learned this very, very, very important lesson. And it, it's one of those things that when we realize that the earth is the Lord's and, and all things in it, okay, that, that willingness to acknowledge that this belongs to God. These are his Skittles, really. He's nice enough to let us have them. But whatever he's given me, time, talent, treasure, the big three, whichever one of those you have the hardest time surrendering, let me encourage you to start there. Okay. Don't start with the easy one. 
That's the one you probably squeak a few, you know, mini surrenders out occasionally. Start with Helm's Deep for Satan's work in your life, <laughs> for the strongholds. All right? Now, you don't understand. I don't have any time. Look, I understand time. I understand busyness. I do. Talent. I could have done a lot of things other than what I'm doing. I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. Treasure. Oh, now you got me mad. Right? That right there, the fact that you felt the hair on the back of your neck stand up should tell you something. The even mention of it gets you touchy. All right? When there's an area of our life that is kind of cornered off, that we put crime scene tape around it and say, you shall not pass to God, okay, that is really where the best work needs to go and where we will experience the most victory when that crime tape is removed and the Spirit of God comes in. My mom used to make chicken. I called it fried chicken in the first service. It wasn't one fried. It was like in that skillet, you know, where they... You get wings and stuff, put them in a skillet with, I don't know, even know what was in there, just greasy awesomeness is what was in there. But she would just roll that thing in there, let it sizzle, and it's usually Friday nights. And she would put it on a big plate, chicken, and it would have, uh, you know, seasoning on the outside or whatever. And I was a drumstick guy. I didn't like the wings or the breasts of the chicken. I wanted the, the, wing, uh, the drumsticks. And there were only like three of them usually. Tammy liked drumsticks too, my sister. In the Spivey house, good Christian house, you never eat before you pray. If you do, you're liable to choke and go to hell. So we'd, we didn't do that. <laughs> my parents are listening to this somewhere and they're like, what? We never said that. But, but, but I was like, so at the final amen, as soon as that N sound came out, the dive was on. And it really depended when the plate went on the table, which direction it was facing toward Tammy or toward me. And I would dive on that thing and get, if I was lucky, I'd get two. Tammy was quick, my sister. She was pretty quick. And I'd get one or two. And, and my mom used to get frustrated with us because we did act like animals, really. Um, we would pounce on, you know, and grab whatever chicken go flying off the plate. And I remember her saying, son, like, you're, don't be a little animal, okay? We can make more. We can make more. It's like it never occurred to me. What do you mean? more? This isn't all the chicken in the universe, you know? In the moment, it does feel that way, doesn't it? Like, when you realize, oh, hey, this is, this is uh, you know, this is going to be really, really, uh, you know, something that I want or whatever, and sometimes knowing that there can be more made is what allows you the freedom to say, you have it, you take it. Not just freedom of heart, right? I mean, that's a nice thing to do, but where you know that's not all there is. That's not all there is. You take it. I'm hungry. Drumsticks are awesome. We can make more. Go ahead, sis. Imagine the disconnect. Wes, who owns Manzanita out here, he and Sam do. I never, I've never paid for a cup of coffee if Wes is behind the bar. Super generous, kind guy. All right? I do when there's somebody else behind the bar, but not Wes. Wes won't, let, won't have it. Now imagine that he came in, say, to our services or something like that and asked me for something. And I said, you know what? Hey, it's going to be $2, Wes. I mean, do you understand how strange that would be to him? 
Ah, I see. One-way street is what we got here. It would be weird. It would probably be a little insulting knowing him. He's kind enough to overlook it or whatever, but it would be kind of wrong, wouldn't it? I mean, now I want you to imagine what it's like to be God who has given us everything he's given to us, ask us to take it and give it to him, and to say, no, my Skittles, my car, teriyaki sauce, and how what a disconnect there is from people who see the world in such terms, who say, God is great, God is gracious, oh, come to the abundant life, just don't take my stuff, right? You're not taking my Skittles, but take theirs. I'm sure they'd be, because they're a Christian, they definitely should be generous, but don't take my Skittles, don't ask me for anything. God has to be up there going, what is the matter with you? The family that I gave you, for instance, what if, what if our families were not given to us to be consumed like another object, something to just, that's just there to bring us joy, but we were brought together actually to do God's work in the world? Meaning there was, there was a purpose beyond our own enjoyment of one another. What if our enjoyment of one another was a byproduct of actually fulfilling what God put us on this earth to do? So the wife that he gave me, the three daughters that he gave me are not just for me to enjoy. It's for us to collectively be brought together in such a way that we are equipped fully to do the work of God in the world. And as we do it, guess what? We enjoy each other more. See the difference? One worldview says there's not much out there and I consume it at my own discretion. When it runs out, it runs out. So I'm going to get mine, you get yours, and may the best man win. Another says, you know what? God is here, and he's showering grace on us repeatedly. Everything that I have comes from him. He can always make more. So if I need to share it, you know, uh, back to my, my parents quickly. On the one hand, they're very cheap. I mean, like, like, like legendarily cheap. Like, like if you ever brought up Disneyland in the house, uh, my dad, you know, Disneyland? Why'd you want to go to Disneyland? Well, because some people have said it's fun, Dad. And he would say, well, I'll just take you over to the mall and let you ride up and down the escalator a few times. That's the same thing. Yeah, it's free, you know, that kind of house, all right? That's, that's the house I grew up in. They're cheap, but they're not stingy. There's a difference, all right? My parents are open-handed, generous people. You ever go to their house and point out something that you like? My mom will take it off the wall and try to give it to you. Wow, that's a beautiful picture. Oh, you like it here? And she'd like take it off the wall and try. I mean, they are the most open-handed people on earth. It is rare that I ever come and go from their house without her putting something in my car and sending me home, you know, because she thought I looked at something a particular way and I might like to have it. Like she would much rather their money, they be stingy inside the house or not stingy, but be cheap so that they have money to give to others. All right. Man, I want to live that way. Man, I want to live that way. And when God rains his blessings down on people with a lot of resources and they're wired that way, now stuff starts moving. Or you got people with a lot of time or they don't know where their time's going to be, but they got a lot of talent or whatever and they're willing to lend it the best part of their life, the best part of their energy, not the scraps. Now, hey, you know what? I got 30 minutes six months from now and during that time I'm going to go uh, do something very nice for the church. You know, not that, no. 
the best. God, take it all. Time, talent, treasure, here it goes. Boom. And then watch what he does with it. And if you do that, you aren't going to be able to come back to me and say, you know what, preacher, I tried it, and he really let me down. Nope, it's never happened. He will blow your mind. This church is a testimony to a lot of things. Some of them good, some of them, some of them just uh, different, we'll say. Um, but one of the things I think we've done well, we haven't done everything well, but uh, one of the things I think we have done well is that when we feel like God is taking us in a particular direction, we go. And even if our knees are knocking a little bit as we go, we still go. And even though on paper, a lot of the decisions that we've made don't make a lot of sense. We believe that we'd hear, heard the voice of the Lord and guidance of the Lord, and so we followed it. And the next thing you know, guess what? Not only did it, did it happen, but there were basketfuls left over. I could never explain to you how it happened. It just happened. I mean, the building you're sitting in would be an example of that. Makes no sense. You know, think about that. And the odds of it happening were so astronomical that, you know, I mean, it's just crazy. So I sit there and I go, man, God. Those times where we have done the right thing. There have been a couple other times where we kind of, I, I, I felt like we chickened out in hindsight. I'm going to try and get rid of those <laughs> and stay on that path of faith. And because of that, you know, and once you do it, you start acquiring a taste for it. And so the apostles here kind of fail miserably. They have the scarcity mentality. They're going to do it again. They're going to fail miserably again, but they keep walking. And the next thing you know, that same group is going to be in an upper room, and he's going to take those 12. Now, sans Judas. He gets the boot and goes off and betrays Jesus and everything like that. But even in that, he doesn't even realize what he's doing. He's participating in the greatest single act of God that's ever happened. This is what we'll ever see. And then he goes forward from that, and he takes those guys, breaks them, and those 12 shape civilization as we know it and the world, and it's one of the reasons we're sitting here today, 12 ordinary people. So if you see what he can do with the apostles, think about what he can do with you. Think about what he can do with your family. Think about what he can do with your life if you will take what he's given you and surrender it to him. So that's the invitation to you today. Surrender. Surrender. And you probably know what needs to be surrendered. The answer to that question is anything that's not already surrendered. <laughs> All right? And if you don't know what it may be, ask the Lord right now. We're going to gather around the Lord's table. And just as he did in that upper room, uh, on that occasion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And we're going to remember our Lord and Savior Jesus who did this particular miracle. We're going to remember that it's all his anyway, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And that would include us, heart, mind, soul, and strength, all of our thoughts, activities. If you uh, did not get a, a little bag with uh, bread and cup inside, um, raise your hand. No shame in it. Many will do it. It's okay. I'd be happy to give it to you. I'll give you one. The bread represents the body of Jesus. The cup represents his blood that was shed for us. He's the one that said, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And so Jesus lays his life down. He's raised again. 
and ascends to the right hand of God and now tells us to follow in his steps. So right now I'd like to pray for us and as we do, any last folks? I'd like to pray and ask that the Lord would rain abundance into your lives. Let's pray. Uh, Father, when we look around at the world and we're overwhelmed by the spiritual and material needs we see, we think to ourselves, we don't have enough. We're right. We don't have enough. But Father, we hear the voice of Jesus saying to us, feed them. And so this morning with bread and cup, we say, here you go. You can have it. Father, we trust what will happen next. We trust that that the God of abundance will take whatever we have and break it and use it to feed many. Father, take our church, take our lives, take our marriages, our relationships. Uh, Father, take our prayers, take our money, take our talents, take our time, We surrender it all to you, Lord, knowing that you will use it. It's all yours anyway, Father, so we aren't going to hoard our Skittles, what we think are our Skittles or our time or our talent or our treasure. We lay it all in your hands, Father, and we know that we're about to see a miracle happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.